Our Father, as we come to you today, I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would see how this text applies to our lives. Father, we we ask that this would draw us deeper in our faith in you for the glory of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So like I said, today is Reformation Sunday. You guys know what tomorrow is, right? Tomorrow's the day when, uh, when kids will be dressing up as all kinds of things, going door to door for Halloween. Uh, maybe I should just acknowledge the fact that Halloween has maybe kind of been hijacked by adults in recent years. Uh, adults are, are uh, celebrating Halloween a lot, too, in recent years. But for theology nerds, People who love theology, people who love church history and the Bible and things like that, we also remember that October 31st uh, marks the day, the anniversary of the day, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle in Germany. And so with that said today, like I said, is Reformation Sunday. And I also know that it's possible that many of you don't even know what the Reformation is or what the significance of the Reformation is, unless you don't know why we would have a Sunday where we remember what the Reformation is about. For many, um, if you don't know what it is, maybe you just don't think it's that big of a deal. You don't understand uh, you know, why we would celebrate it, because this is a movement that started 499 years ago tomorrow, uh, but which ended, apparently, 400 to 450 years ago, and thus maybe you don't understand why we would even bother talking about it, much less devote an entire Sunday service to it. And the truth is, that the doctrines, the beliefs, the convictions, the principles, the truths that came to the forefront of Christian thought in the Reformation didn't start with the Reformation. Rather, the Reformation was trying to bring things back to a biblically-centered type of belief, biblically-centered doctrinal system. They started with God. They started with God. These principles all started with God. They started in the Bible as revealed by God in His Word. They started with God. He was the first reformer, really, if you think about it. And further, the principles which were established and defined and recovered, I guess, in the Reformation have been under attack ever since the Reformation started 499 years ago. So, With that said, the Reformation is not over. It didn't end 400 to 450 years ago. The forerunners, the the church um, leaders who headed up the Reformation movement, they may have died 400 to 450 years ago, but the movement lives on. The Reformation is still alive to this day. The Reformation established four fundamental principles, four fundamental doctrines of the faith, which have served as a line in the sand, so to speak. The first one is sola gratia, which means faith alone, or grace alone. Uh, Sola fide, which is faith alone. Sola Christus, which is Christ alone. And sola scriptura, scripture alone. You guys hear me say that all the time. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right, you hear me say that all the time. And how do we know that? Because Scripture alone informs us of these doctrines. Uh, 
So the Reformation didn't end 400 plus years ago. The Reformation is needed as badly today as it was needed 500 years ago. Because these doctrines continue to be tested and tried and violated in every generation of the church ever since the Reformation. And so for that reason, it's very important for us, it's crucial for us as Christians in the 21st century to know what these principles are and to know why they matter and to know why we have to stand behind this line in the sand. They are important. Let me start by having you consider something. If somebody were to, let's say you're, you're at work or wherever, your grocery store, and you're talking to somebody about church, and it, it comes up and they ask you, how would you describe your church? What would you say to that person? Maybe you would say, we're an evangelical free church. That's a good start. That, that, that is us. We are uh, an evangelical free church. What else would you say, maybe? Maybe you'd say, well, you'd, you'd find all, all age groups there. You know, we've, we've got a wide uh, variety of age groups here. Uh, you'd see a, a mix of people from different nations around the world. Uh, yeah, um, you could say uh, we, we hold to very conservative evangelical theology. That works. All of these are, are good descriptions of who we are as a church. They're all true. They're all things that, that I, I love about our church. But I might suggest one more aspect of our church that gives us a distinction. We are Protestant. We are Protestant. And that's a word that some of you may have heard so many times that it may have lost its flavor some, uh, somewhat. But let's remember that the word Protestant means that we are protesting something. That's what the word ultimately means. It means we're protesting something. We're standing against something. So the question is then, what are we protesting? What are we standing against? And this brings us back to the whole reason that the Reformation started to begin with. On October 31st, in the year 1517, 499 years ago tomorrow, a young monk named Martin Luther, who had been trained as a lawyer, he was brilliant, he wrote 95 complaints against the practices of the Roman Catholic Church. And he nailed his complaints to the door of the church at the Wittenberg Castle. He wasn't trying to stir the pot too much. He wasn't trying to change the course of church history. He was just trying to start a conversation, an open dialogue, if you will, about some of the corruptions, the corruption, uh, the corrupt practices of the Roman Catholic Church. That's all he was trying to do, was to make the public and, and the church aware of this corruption. And so he nails his 95 thesis to the door. And one of the things that the Roman Catholic Church was doing was kind of making up the rules, making up some doctrines as they went along. And they held the traditions of the church, the things that they had decided to do that weren't necessarily based on Scripture but were just traditions. Uh, they held these traditions to be equivalent in terms of authority to Scripture. Now, as Protestants, we hold to the doctrine of sola scriptura, which means Scripture alone. 
And the reason that we have that name for it at all is because there used to be something else that the church held up there at the same level as Scripture, and that is the tradition of man. This is one of the things that Martin Luther wanted to bring to people's attention and open a dialogue about. Well, he started a conversation, all right, to say the least, and the firestorm of controversy is still burning bright, still burning strong to this very day. We are still protesting the idea that there is anything at all, any other source of information, of the Word of God, of authority to Scripture. There's nothing that parallels Scripture. That's what we hold to. So this morning we're going to be starting a new series that I guess you could say is going to last us four years, uh, because I'm only going to be preaching one of these a year. One of the one of the solas of the Reformation. I will be preaching on Reformation Sunday every year uh, for the next four years. The Sunday immediately prior to October 31st. The point being, the the goal being that we would understand what it really means to be a Protestant in the 21st century. This past summer, there was this enormous event held. I think there were about a million people there. It was called Together 2016. And it was the latest in a series of efforts over the last 20 years to find common ground among all Christians of all denominations, of all flavors, and to stand together as one. There were Baptists there. There were Anglicans there. There were... Methodists there, Calvary Chapel, I mean, Charismatics, and strangely enough, Roman Catholics were invited to participate as well. So are we really together in 2016 with Roman Catholicism? Well, like R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and a lot of other really well-known theologians uh, who understand the vast differences between Protestantism and, and Roman Catholicism, I was honestly kind of disappointed to see Christians tossing aside central and defining truths of the faith for the sake of unity. I want unity in the church. Man, I, 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 I want unity in the church as badly as anybody else. The question that we have to ask ourselves when we're talking about unity with anything, though, is at what cost? At what cost? What cost are we willing to pay for unity with other believers, with Roman Catholics? It cannot come at the expense of of truth. It cannot come at the expense of truth. People have died for the sake of holding the line on these four solas of the Reformation. And so the protest continues. The Protestant movement still has to hold the line on these four important issues. The Reformation lives on. We still stand against the idea that man's ideas and opinions and traditions and feelings are, author are as authoritative as Scripture. We stand against that idea. So we'll start with the doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture alone or only Scripture. That's what sola means. It means only or alone. And it makes sense to start with this doctrine out of the four, since Scripture is the foundation of the other doctrines of the Reformation. Why do we believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Because that's what Scripture clearly teaches. It teaches it 
over and over again. We, we also affirm that there is no source of authority which is above or equal to Scripture because that's what Scripture clearly teaches. We base our beliefs on the Bible because the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God. Well, there's a group of people in the book of Acts that we encounter who are given the highest accolades of any other people group that we meet in the book of Acts. These people are called the Bereans. And we first read about them in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, which says this. Acts 17, 10 says, The brothers, talking about Christians, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, And when they arrived, when Paul and Silas arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So Paul and Silas come to them, come to the area of Berea, and they come to the synagogue in Berea preaching the gospel, as was Paul's tradition. Everywhere he went, the first place he would go was the synagogue. Why? Because Christianity is deeply rooted in Judaism. Because the Judaic Scriptures attest to all the things that Paul is trying to present to them. And so he's trying to reason from the Scriptures, from what we would call now the Old Testament. He's trying to reason with them from the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who lived a perfect and sinless life and who died a vicarious death which means he died on our behalf. Like parents, you know, when they, when they live vicariously through their kids, they get them involved in all the sports that the parents wish that they had been involved in and, you know, watch, make them watch all the movies that they loved when they were a kid, right? Like Star Wars and all the, yeah, my daughter's laughing because she knows exactly what I'm talking about. So Jesus died a vicarious death. That's what Paul's teaching. He died on behalf of those whom he came to redeem those who would place saving faith in Him. And what did did the Bereans do with this wonderful, wonderful message? Let's look at Acts 17.11 and see for ourselves. Acts 17.11 says this, Now these Jews, these Jews who were in the synagogue that Paul and Silas are coming to and talking to and reasoning with, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Did you catch that last part? They received this message. They're excited about it. And so they test it. They don't just accept it as it is. They test it against what? Against the Word of God. And this is the reason that these people are called noble. They're noble. That's the highest compliment that any people group in Acts gets. Why are they noble? Because, well, they were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica, but they are noble people because they were eager to receive the gospel and not just take Paul's word for it, but to also hold it against Scripture. Hold this wonderful, wonderful news against the light of Scripture to see if the things that Paul and Silas were teaching lined up with what God had to say on the matter. How do we know? How do we know the truth about God? 
How do we know what's, what's true or false? John tells us to test the spirits in 1 John. How do we do that? How do we know the truth about God? How do we know the truth about what God wants? How do we know what His will is? How do we know what His will isn't? How do we know what pleases God? How do we know what doesn't please God? What angers God? How do we know when a pastor is teaching something false? The answer to all these things is the same. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. Scripture alone is the light by which we judge everything. It's the standard by which we measure and compare everything. Every idea, every thought, every action. Everything needs to be tested against Scripture. Scripture alone is our infallible, inerrant guide. The Word of God alone has the authority to answer all those questions. And the Bereans knew that. The Bereans believed that. And so the Bereans did that. That's why they're recognized as being noble people. This is also why the psalmist famously wrote, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. That's from Psalm chapter 119, verses 105 to 107. For about a year, we've been going through Psalm 119 as our call to worship. And I hope you guys see it over and over and over again. It's talking about how I, I love your rules. I love your law. Teach me your law. Where do you find his law? Where do you find his word? In Scripture. It's no coincidence that this psalm, Psalm 119, is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in all of Scripture. And it's all about the authority of God's Word and the way that the believer should thirst for and long for and desire that Word. Time after time, the psalmist acknowledges that he, he longs for and he strives to obey the rules and the precepts and the ordinances and the commands of God. But where does he find them? He says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Going back in history, in response to the Reformation's movement on the unparalleled authority of Scripture, in response to the doctrine of sola scriptura really being recovered and refined, the Roman Catholic Church decided to have a reformation of their own, kind of a, a counter-reformation. And so what they did is the same thing that they had done throughout history. They called a church council, a meeting of the minds, so to speak, inviting in all the big and important people. And so then you have the Council of Trent from 1545 to 1563. And they made a statement, a very revealing statement about the authority of Scripture and how it compares to the traditions of man. They said this, seeing clearly that this truth of the gospel and discipline are contained in the written books and the unwritten traditions, end quote. See what they just did there? You see how they put tradition at the same level as Scripture? So even after the doctrine of sola scriptura was recovered and refined, they held their own line. They held their own line that, no, tradition is as authoritative as Scripture itself. Now, 
Let me be very clear about something and, uh, because we need to approach this with grace, and that is that not all Roman Catholics are in agreement with the official position of their church. You can talk to a Roman Catholic who, uh, and, and tell them, you know, this is what was established at the uh, Council of Trent, and they'll say, I don't agree with that. There are plenty of people in the church who don't agree with the church's position. But the Roman Catholic who is completely in agreement with the Roman Catholic Church's position on the authority of Scripture and the authority of tradition, would affirm the authority of Scripture. They'd affirm what the psalmist is saying here, your word is a a lamp to my feet. But they'd also have to say that traditions of man are a lamp to their feet and a light to their path, if they agree with the Roman Catholic Church's position. And we protest that. We protest the idea that there's anything that parallels the authority of Scripture. That's one of the reasons we're Protestant. And so with that said, there, there are certainly many, many, many Roman Catholics who don't hold the view of tradition that the Roman Catholic Church holds. So we need to be careful about that. If, you, if you're talking to a Roman Catholic, uh, make sure that you ask them. Don't, don't just assume that they agree with everything that the church has to say. Ask them. So it's not that the Roman Catholic Church holds a view of Scripture that's, that's too low. No, they have a very high view of the authority of Scripture. Let me be clear about that much. It's that Rome holds a view of man's traditions, which is too high. It's up here, needs to be down here. Not to mention the fact that the Roman Catholic Bible contains books that our Bible does not contain, books which don't belong in the Bible and which were late additions by the Roman Catholic Church, which were added for the sake of having an advantage over the Protestants. Here's what happened. Martin Luther wanted to put the Bible in your hands in your language, so that you could read it for yourself, and so that you could understand it for yourself. And so he went through great, great uh, difficulty and, and put a lot of time into translating the Bible into the common vernacular. In response, the Roman Catholic Church decided to add certain books that had not been canonized before, so that the Protestants didn't have all of Scripture. So, The reason for this was just to one-up the Protestant Reformation. I'll spare you the rest of the details for now. Throughout history, the church has gathered to develop creeds and confessions in response to errors in biblical thinking, church thinking, theological thinking. Now, we recognize that the creeds and confessions themselves are not flawless. They are not inerrant. They are not inspired by God. Their purpose is simply to summarize the church's positions on certain issues in accordance with what Scripture teaches. And so with that said, I want to introduce you to the London Baptist Confession of 1689, which succinctly, very clearly summarized the Protestant position on the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. Here's what it says. It says, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience 
Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary unto salvation. So this is just a pretty straightforward summarization of what the Bereans believed and what the Protestant church affirms today. The key word here is only. It is the only sufficient, the only certain, the only infallible source of saving knowledge pertaining to faith and obedience. We recognize that all of creation declares the glory of God, right? The Bible clearly says that. It also clearly says that certain aspects, certain attributes of God are clearly seen in creation so that nobody has an excuse but to worship Him. He would say, God's, uh, Paul would say God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse. If they don't have a Bible, they can still know that God exists because He's evident in creation. So yeah, you can know some things about God based on creation and perhaps by reason alone. But where will you find knowledge of what it takes to please this God? Where will you find knowledge of what it takes to be accepted and received by this God? Not in nature. You won't find it in nature. Where will you understand that by believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you can be forgiven by God? You can receive God's grace. You won't find that in nature. The Bereans, they didn't start by consulting the stars. They didn't start by having an opinion poll of the masses to see how everybody felt about this new teaching for them. No, they verified it with Scripture. Can you find the truths of the Gospel in the Old Testament? Which is, by the way, the Scriptures that the Bereans would have been using. Yeah, absolutely. You can find them throughout the Old Testament. I preach the Old Testament a lot, and I, I think I, I clearly preach the Gospel from the Old Testament. It's in there. It's in there. The Bible attests to its own authority. And that's, that's an important thing for us to remember. The Bible attests to its own authority. And somebody may object to that saying, well, that's circular reasoning, right? Why is the Bible authoritative? Because the Bible says it's authoritative. Oh, that, well, that's circular reasoning, to which I say, so what? So what? Do you know how many things we accept that are circular in reasoning every day? Let me put it this way. Why do you follow any laws? Any laws. Why, why, why do you not blow through stop signs? Why, why do you follow any laws at all? Because the law says you have to obey the law. Now, I challenge you to stand before a judge and to say, I don't have to obey that because that's circular reasoning. No, that doesn't matter. The judge would say, so what? <laughs> so what? Can you imagine standing before God and saying to Him, why should I believe, God, that You are the ultimate authority? And He says back to you, He says, because I said I'm the ultimate authority. And so in response to that, can you imagine the foolishness of the person who would then accuse God of using circular reasoning? Even if it is circular reasoning. 
we accept things that involve circular reasoning every day. Every day, it's all around us, and we don't question it. The Bible attests to its own authority. The Bible speaks of itself as the one and only authority. Paul would write to Timothy, saying this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. He would say, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, speaking of the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the truth of the matter is that there is no other book in all of creation that can make that claim about itself. No other book has the authority to say that about itself, that it can make us wise unto salvation. It can say that, and it can be very wrong. The Bible alone is breathed out by God. The Bible alone can make us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible alone is the ultimate and final authority by which we must guide and govern our lives. And there are at least three very important implications that we can gather from what Paul said here. This doctrine isn't just something that we can know up here. Sola Scriptura, you know, it's important that we have it up here. But if we have it up here, it should play out in our lives. We should, it should affect our lives if it's true. And so the first implication is this. It is objectively true. That means it's true for all people in all places at all times. It is objectively true that the Bible alone contains the Word of God. In other words, it is the Word of God and it is authoritative whether a person accepts it as such or not. Now, you might not like my beard. Some people do, some people don't. Whatever, I like it. Whether you like it or dislike it doesn't change the fact that it's there, all right? It's there whether you like it or not. Similarly, yeah, Scripture is authoritative. Scripture is the only authoritative guide for all of life, whether a person likes it or not. Now, I realize that there are a lot of people out there who believe that the Bible is, is a holy book, that it's, that it's a sacred book, but that it is on par with other holy books of other religions around the world. But that is simply not the case. The Bible alone is objectively true, and these sacred writings sacred writings from other religions around the world. They all come into conflict with the Bible at some point or another. They all contradict Scripture at some point or another. And you cannot have, you cannot affirm opposites as true. If something is true, the opposite of it is false. Something that contradicts it is false. So, what do you say when the writings of another religion, come into conflict at some point or another with the Bible. You say, well, it's true for me, but not for you. No, that's not the way truth works. Only the Bible is objectively 
true. It's true whether you like it or not and whether you agree with it or not. It's true even if the truth and the things that it reveals hurt your feelings. It's true even when that means that it tears down the idol of self-esteem in a person. When we say that it's objectively true, we mean that it is true for everybody on the planet in every place, in every time, whether they agree with it or whether they accept it or not. It's objectively true that the Bible alone contains the Word of God. And one of the ways that people will deny the doctrine of sola scriptura is to say, well, I believe that God still speaks. God is still giving revelation today. Well, I do too. I believe that too. Except when I say that, I mean that I believe that He still speaks through His Word. People might say something like, you know, God is telling me this, or, or I feel like God is, is telling me that. And my response is that our feelings deceive us all the time. Even very mature believers can be deceived by their feelings. You know, these, these sermons get put up online. And there are people from, uh, from kind of around the world who, who listen. And uh, so every now and then I get emails from people who are, are listening in, in different parts of the country or, or different parts of, of the world. And I recently had a woman uh, send me an email and tell me that she feels like God is telling her to leave her husband. Now, my first instinct is if that is really what you believe, that's, this is my knee-jerk reaction, if that is truly what you believe, which verse would you go to? It is clearly unbiblical. Even in the case of adultery, this is unbiblical. God may permit, permit a spouse to leave the other in the case of infidelity, but for God to permit it is not the same as for God to desire it. But this is where our feelings lead us. They lead us to feel like, oh, I, I feel like God wants me to do this. I feel like God wants me to do that. What are you going to check it against? Scripture alone. This is where our feelings lead us if we don't keep them in check. If you feel like God wants you to do something that is not expressly stated in His Word, be very, very cautious. If you feel like God wants you to do something that's contrary to His will as revealed in Scripture, repent. Repent and run. Don't use your feelings as an excuse. Don't use your feelings as your ultimate authority. It is dangerous to base your, your decisions and your life choices strictly on what your feelings say, what your heart is telling you to do. Those things all too often lead us away from God's will. How will you keep your feelings in check? How will you keep yourself anchored to God's will? How will you ensure that your feelings don't lead you a million miles away from God's will? By measuring your feelings against God's Word. And repenting when your feelings or your desires or what you feel like God is telling you to do, are at odds with God's Word. It is objectively true that the Bible alone contains the Word of God. Number two, the second implication here, is that no tradition, no creed, 
No council has the authority to veto or change the truths that are revealed in Scripture. Now, this is not to say that creeds and confessions are bad. This is not to say that traditions are bad. Our generation, we kind of want to just take all traditions and in one bucket and just toss it all out, right? And, oh, well, it's traditions. Kind of like in Fiddler on the Roof where the guy says, you know, why do we do this? Because it's tradition. Why is it a tradition? Because we do it. What are we ultimately checking this against? They're checking it against tradition. No, it needs to be checked against God's Word. No tradition, creed, or council has the authority to veto or change the truth revealed in Scripture. No pastor... No talk show host, no vision, no dream, no feeling in somebody's gut, no supposed modern day prophecy can add to or subtract from the truths that are contained in Scripture. And this is so important. This is so important, especially in our day and age where you find this stuff on TV all the time. It's so important and a day and age when we have people who are claiming to receive revelation from God. New revelation from God. Beware of anyone who tells you, God told me this. God revealed this or that to me. Something that isn't expressly stated in the Bible. Because the reason that a person will say, God told me this, or this has been revealed to me, is so that you can't question their authority. You have nothing that you can measure their statements against. It's like playing a trump card that establishes the person as an authority who cannot be questioned. There is only one authority who cannot be questioned, and that is God Himself. And this is not to say that God does not still communicate. What it means is that when, when He does communicate, what I mean is that when He does communicate to us, it is through His Word, and we understand that by His Spirit. Let me give you an example of the type of thing I'm, I'm kind of urging you to be cautious with. Let's say that somebody says this. God has revealed to me that this hurricane is God's judgment against the American church's silence in regards to abortion. Now, somebody has said something very similar to that in recent years. You've probably heard him. He made the news when he said it. But let's ask this. What is wrong with making that kind of a statement? What's wrong with saying God has revealed to me that this is this this relates to uh, you know the church's silence on abortion? Well, what's wrong is the fact that we have no means of testing that statement. We have no means of knowing whether God really revealed that to someone or not. God's word doesn't say anything about America specifically, and it never predicts hurricanes being used at some point against God's people as punishment for being silent about abortion. But this person is claiming that God revealed this information to him. So, the point is anybody can say that. And the only way that we can know it's from God is if it lines up with His Word. If we can't test it against the Word of God, we can't believe that God truly revealed something to that person. And if He's claiming that God gave him this new revelation, run. Run. God still speaks, but He doesn't add to His Word. 
And that might sound like a contradiction, but it's not. No, God still speaks through His Word. And His Word is never changing. Which is why the Bereans trusted in it. Which is why the Bereans tested everything that Paul and Silas were saying against God's Word. The London Baptist Confession of 1689 puts it this way. And again, this is not authoritative. This is something that summarizes the biblical position based on what Scripture says. It says this, "...the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith in life, is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture." unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the Word, which are always to be observed. In a nutshell, in other words, the Bible alone is sufficient, and you cannot add to it, you cannot take away from it, The Holy Spirit helps us to understand and to see how the Bible, as God's Word, applies to our lives individually and and personally. But no one may veto Scripture. No one may change Scripture. No one may add to or subtract from Scripture. The third implication. This is the big one. Given that Scripture alone is inspired by God. Scripture alone is breathed out by God. And given that Scripture alone is inerrant, it doesn't have errors, it's infallible, it cannot be broken, it is unshakable, it's it's unbreakable, it's sufficient to make us wise for salvation in Christ Jesus, sufficient to teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us for every good work. Given all these things, we must make it our top priority in life to study to know to understand and to apply what God's word says to our lives that is our top priority that is our our number one thing in life is to know God and we do that by knowing his word why should you come to church To glorify God? Yeah? How about to gather and have fellowship with other like-minded Christians? Absolutely. How about to hear the Word of God taught? To hear the Word of God taught. You better believe it. That's something that I aim for week in and week out here. Why should you hear the Word of God taught? So that you can learn it so that you can be reminded of it, so that you can understand it, and so that you can apply it, so that you can live your life in accordance with what God's will is for you and what God desires for you. Because you believe that Jesus was right when He quoted Scripture saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's He talking about there? Scripture! Jesus used Scripture. Jesus Himself! Quoted Scripture. 
attesting to its authority. And because you believe that the psalmist was right when he wrote, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. That's another one out of Psalm 119. By guarding it according to your word. Period. Not or doing this or that. Not or seeking consultation from this or that person or from the culture. How can a, man keep his, a young man keep his way pure? By governing it and guiding it by the principles in Scripture. Friends, there is no greater good than you can do for yourself than to immerse yourself in God's Word on a consistent basis. You might say, well, you're a pastor, so it's easy for you, right? You only have to work one day a week, right? So it's easy for you to just be in God's Word the rest of the time. Uh, Yeah, believe me. I, I wish, I wish it was that easy. The truth is that I have a flesh nature just like you. I have a flesh nature. I, I am a wretch of a sinner, just like you. No offense. The only difference between me and, I don't know, somebody else who isn't a pastor is the fact that I've, I've got a certain set of gifts. You've got a certain set of gifts. But guess what? We're both called to the same thing. We're both called to do these for the good of the body of Christ and for the glory of God. Every one of us, Every single one of us needs to be intentional about immersing ourselves in Scripture because it is far too easy for us to make excuses and find something else to do. Myself included. Our supreme duty in life is to know Jesus Christ and to make Him known. And the truth is that we can't know Him very well, if at all, if we're not regularly immersing ourselves and exposing ourselves to the Word of God. When even the most frail, ignorant, uneducated Christian stands on the Word of God and knows the Word of God, storing it up in his heart, he has more wisdom than the most learned and educated people of our time who have rejected God. Friends, on Reformation Sunday, we have to remember that we stand on the shoulders of giants who stand on the shoulders of giants. J.I. Packer once said that church history is like one long, long Bible study in which Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, and countless others have taken part. The truth is that our lives need to be kept in check by something objective, something other than cultural trends or feelings or emotions. And only Scripture, only Scripture can objectively do that. It can, only Scripture can objectively keep our lives in check. One author puts it this way. He says, quote, The blindness and darkness of the human heart, the hold that Satan has over his miserable subjects, and the inability of men to desire truth on their own part make an objective revelation most necessary. End quote when we talk about sola scriptura, when we talk about the doctrine of of scripture alone having this authority, it's a denial and it's an affirmation. It's a denial of man's ability on his own to know God fully and to objectively discern what is morally good and spiritually profitable. 
Conversely, on the other hand, sola scriptura is also an affirmation of the fact that God's Word is the only place where objective truth may be known and discovered about God and where we may discover God's sovereign will. Michael Kruger says this. I'll end with this. He says, quote, The Protestant church in the modern day needs this doctrine now more than ever. The lessons of the Reformation have been largely forgotten, and the church once again has begun to rely on ultimate authorities outside of Scripture. End quote. Friends, our culture is in a moral free-for-all right now. Will you stand? Will you stand on the shifting and, and, and sinking sands of the culture? Or will you stand on the never-changing, never-failing Word of God? This isn't a trick question. It's not a difficult question. What are you going to stand on? What are you going to anchor yourself to? You see, in our culture today, what's, what's morally right and what's, what's morally wrong in America is anybody's guess at any given time. Who knows what's right or wrong anymore? The Bible. On the other hand, the Bible is the anchor that prevents us from washing out with the tide of cultural immorality. When you throw out moral absolutes, what do you have? You have moral chaos. You have moral anarchy. You have what America has become in the 21st century. And if your life is not governed and guided by Scripture alone, as the ultimate objective authority, your life will be managed, will be governed, will be guided by subjective and changing forces, desires, emotions, opinions. Because we can't rely on those things. Because we can't ultimately rely on the opinions or ideas of man. And because we must stand against the godlessness of the culture around us. We must anchor ourselves to the Word of God alone. The only objective source of authority and direction that we have. Because we're anchored by God's Word, it doesn't matter what Hollywood's trying to brainwash us into accepting as ethics and morals. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what's in vogue with the masses. It doesn't matter how the opinions are shifting one way or another if you are anchored to Scripture. The world would be a better place if everybody was like the Bereans who saw the Word of God as the one and only supreme and all-sufficient guide for life. But because that cannot be said of our culture today, because we are surrounded by darkness, we must see this as an opportunity to be light in the darkness. We must be a light in the moral and spiritual darkness around us. And the way to do that is to look to the Word of God for instruction and to lean on the Holy Spirit for illumination that we may gain understanding of Scripture that we may know what God's will is, that we may find through the power of the Holy Spirit the strength and the conviction to obey. Friends, we protest. We stand against. We, we protest the idea that saving truth and saving knowledge of God can be found anywhere else. 
We protest the idea that anything, tradition, feelings, cultural fads, we, we protest the idea that anything is equal in authority to Scripture. We stand with Isaiah, who said, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is inerrant, infallible, sufficient, and necessary for everything that we encounter. The only objective truth that we have by which we can measure any other truth claim. So we thank You for it. And I pray, Lord, that our lives would be more and more anchored to it. That we would grow in our confidence in your word as our confidence in you increases. By the power of your Holy Spirit, please, Lord, please illuminate your word for us that we may understand it and not only understand it, but know it and not just know it, but obey it for the glory of Christ. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper.